are listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Tiki Land, composer, saxophonist, and photographer. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. You mentioned your collaborations with Philip Glass and coming to New York, but just take us back a little bit further. You grew up on a farm? I grew up in Cecilia, Louisiana, born on November 16, 1938. Very poor family. No electricity, no running water, heat by wood. My mother was a teacher, first grade and second grade. She taught for 40 years, died at 102 and a half. My father was a foreman on jobs in Central and South America building sugarcane refineries. At the age of 13, my father came back and opened a dairy. But in the meantime, growing up, there was not much to do except to go to church. (laughs) There was no movies or television or anything else. We didn't have a radio. So my mother brought me to the church, St. Joseph's Church in Cecilia, to become an altar boy, to serve the priest for the mass and stuff. I had three girl cousins who would come for a month every summer, and we had a great time together. In those days, those were my close friends, my cousins. So I realized that I like girls. So as we were talking to the priest, the choir started singing in the back of the church, up in the loft. And I turned around, I was all girls, go like, Mom, I want to sing. <laughs> so thanks to the women, this is how I began my musical career. My brother's a saxophone player also. He's eight years older than I am. And when the Korean War broke out, he joined the Air Force and would send me records and jazz records and stuff. When he came out of the service, he was playing in a society band, dances and weddings. And when I was 13 years old, he invited me to come to the club. And I had to go through the back door because I was underage. And that was my first professional job. You mentioned going to New York and, of course, traveled around the world Mm -hmm. for your music and as accompaniment to visual art. I know that you love free improvisation. I tried to play jazz, constructed jazz, and I couldn't. I felt confined by the constructed stuff. So when I started playing, interpreting jazz songs, I was having a lot of problems keeping that structure in my mind. So all of a sudden I heard other people playing free jazz, Albert Eiler and others, and I gravitated to that. And today most of my solo concerts are free improvisation. That took a little time to organize in my head. I still have problems today. Some people call it stage fright. I don't know what it is, but I'm always right before a concert thinking, why am I doing this? I'm not, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Why am I here? What am I going to do? And I walk up to the microphone. And I'm still thinking this and I start playing and I'm still thinking like, what am I doing here? Why, why, why? All the questions of how I'm going to sustain playing for 45 minutes or an hour and I'm still playing and playing, and then all of a sudden I go, well, Mr. Landry, you got people sitting in the audience, you're getting paid for this, so enjoy yourself. So the next thing I know, the concert is over, and I don't know where I've been. It's losing <laughs> oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, in time, I don't know where. <laughs> Some people might call that nirvana, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the collaborations you had talked about, Philip Glass? Philip came out with this new music. Philip started with Robert Shankar as a drummer, and if you notice, if you know any music, the basic pattern is one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. The first rehearsal, Philip came with a piece of paper with those numbers on it. And I said, Philip, what notes do you want me to start on? And what notes do I go to in the one, two, and one, two, three, one, two, three, four? And he looks at me and says, you mean I have to write this out? I said, yeah, because I'm in the key of B flat, you're in the key of C. We're 
note apart. <laughs> so he said, I mean, I have to write all that music out? Yes. So anyway, the ensemble, we had to learn how to play Phillips music and give him advice of rhythm and, and fast or slow. The first ensemble was basically built around other composers, some on keyboard players, some not. And I remember going to the first rehearsals and want da dee do dee da dee do dee mistake da da dee da dee mistake mistake well like, God this is this is torture. So as my friends came up from Louisiana, jazz musicians, I'd have Philip audition them, and finally we got out of six musicians, four from Louisiana, and eventually seven musicians from Louisiana went through the ensemble. So at some point I told Philip we got to make the music faster, just faster to the point where it went above fast and then we settled at normal tempo. That's the story of that Philip Glass ensemble. I think that most people would know Einstein the Beach. That That's a masterpiece. America in 1976 was be celebrating its 200th year of existence. And Michel Guy, the Minister of Culture, came to New York to offer a commission to Philip Glass and Wilson to write an opera. This was the gift that France would do for America's 200th year anniversary. That was the first time I met Wilson at the meeting, Michel Guy. And Michel Guy found out I was an artist, and he came to my studio and bought four drawings. So we went to Avignon. And I don't know if you've seen the photograph or the poster, the two girls floating in the air. The day before, I was in the office with Bob, and I said, do you have a photograph of the poster? He said, no, not yet. So I said, I'll work on it, but I need it by 10 o'clock in the morning. The way I became interested in art was in high school. I was graduating 1956. I remember going to the library and looking at Time magazine, Life magazine, etc. And abstract expressionism was coming out. Jackson Pollock on the cover, de Kooning and others. And I'm going like, well, this is interesting, you know, after looking at classical art for all these years. Because I was having this battle in, in my head. Do I want to be a jazz musician, classical musician, or classical artist? So one day I went to the library and was thumbing through Time magazine and turned the page, and there's a work of art by Robert Rauschenberg. And when I saw what he had done, and was getting international attention for this, this piece is hanging in a museum somewhere in the world, the light bulb went off in my head. I can be whatever I want. I don't have to be categorized. I'm free. Free. He painted his bed and put it on the wall. Very famous piece. Little did I know I'd ever get to meet him. You know, some people ask me sometimes, when you're painting, do you think about music? Or when you're playing, do you think about painting? Or do you photograph? It's totally separate. When I'm playing music, I'm playing music. When I'm painting, I'm painting. I'm not thinking about music. In fact, I don't listen to music when I'm painting. Photography is a whole technique, and you have to pay attention to what you're doing. Instead of thinking about something else, you got to focus on the process at the moment, not dream of, oh, I'm listening to a symphony. The first painting I saw of what I had done, the finished painting, was a real turn-on. I mean, really heavy, like that painting was coming from my brain. It wasn't a photograph. It wasn't an image of something. It was coming from me, from this. That really, I mean, excited me more than when I first heard John, John Coltrane or Arnett called me. It was like, Paul, like, this is, this is what painting is about. It's about individual piece of work. It's not mm -hmm. a photograph.
that you're painting. You also collaborate with some pretty amazing people. Laurie Anderson, or Paul Simon, Bob Dylan, David Byrne, Talking Heads, and many, many, many mm. others. Well, we'll start, we'll start with Laurie Anderson. My son had died, and I'd taken two years to recover. So I went to New York, I had dinner with Laurie, and as I was getting up to leave, she said, what are you doing in New York? I said, I'm looking for work. She said, what are you doing next week? I said, well, I'm supposed to be in Atlanta, Georgia, doing a music film with David Byrne and Talking Head. She said, well, I said, what do you have? She said, well, I'm doing a piece next week at Brooklyn Academy of Music with Trisha Brown and Robin Rosenberg, set, reset. Why don't you come? Bring your sax. I said, well, I'm going to just bring your sax when we work it out then. So in the meantime, I called David. I said, look, David, I've been offered this thing with Laurie. And his immediate words, David, nobody knows you in Atlanta. Everybody will know who you are at Brooklyn Academy. All your friends are there. So I do do with Laurie. Two weeks after that concert, Laurie's manager called and said, do you want to go on a 20th City Tour of America with Laurie, Home of the Brave? Of course, we did that. That was the beginning of my reconstruction of my career in New York through Laurie Anderson. Then at the same time, I'm at a Cajun music concert at Carnegie Recital Hall of this Cajun group, Michael Ducey, and this black man, Canary Fontenot. A lot of people from Louisiana are there, and they all say, oh, Paul Simon's in the office, you should meet him. And I don't like to, I'm not a star guy. I don't go out, I don't rush to people to get that photo. So I'm walking up the stairs, going to get a drink, and I stopped and said, Dick, it just goes, he knows Laurie Anderson, he knows Philip, go say hello. So I went, hey, Paul, I, I play with Laurie and Philip Lloyd. You have a great voice, too, but you've never been a vocalist. I got a story. It, it involves Paul Simon again. So he said, what are you doing tomorrow morning? I said, I work all day. I, I get off at 7. Well, come to the studio. I want to let you hear what I'm doing. So I go to the studio and meet his engineer, who had been with him since he was 15 years old. He said, I want you to listen. So I tape starts rolling, and Paul is singing in my ear this close. I mean, like an inch away from my ear, singing to the recorded tape. The tape stops, and he says, what do you think? I said, Paul, I have a confession to make. I never bought one of your records. I respect you as guitar player, songwriter, singer. Total respect. He said, oh, same thing happened to me when Bob Dylan sang in my ear. All I could think was Bob Dylan singing in my ear. He said, okay, you'll get over that. I said, okay, play the tape again. The tape plays and stops. And I go on about the music, the band, the, the guitar player, the bass player, the, the rave. The I said, God, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And he looks at me really perturbed. He says, what about the lyrics? I said, I listen to music like layers. I couldn't even sing you Silent Night without making a mistake. He said, well, that's why I brought you up here, to create the lyrics with the music. And I said, we'll play it again. So he got a pad. I wrote, as he sang, I wrote things. When he finished singing, he looks at the paper, folds it up, puts it in his pocket, go eat, drive to a restaurant, good Italian food, great wine, old restaurant. He knows all the people they want his favorite restaurant. He takes out the piece of paper and he looks at him. He said, finally some criticism. Everybody tells me it sounds great, Paul. He said, so we, since then we've become great friends. I mean, one of my best friends. Yeah. He worked on Great Fan for like almost two years daily. So it's like a woman who has a baby, the post-depression. Post mm. So that was silent, and all of a sudden he says, that's why I really like you, because you always know what to say at the right time. <laughs> mm -hmm.
I mean, the artists in New York, when I was hanging out with Leo Caselli and drawing and painting and doing photographs, all the artists would come to me and say, you're doing too many things. Well, I, I get bored doing for one thing, you know? What's, what's your point? We can only, you can only have one step of what you do, you know? Uh, I didn't believe in that. I was just, you know, I liked all three of I liked everything I did. A lot of young people coming up are wondering how to have that kind of free, adventurous, creative right. life. So you right. really modeled that, and I appreciate that. Young people, follow your dreams. Don't look down, look up. <laughs> and practice, practice, practice. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.